This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. I am all lit up about this book. It's called Override. Discover your brain type, why you do what you do and how to do it better. And here's the thing. In this book, Override, by doctors Connell Cowan and David Kipper, Kipper, a medical doctor, and Cowan, a psychologist, there's only two kinds of brains. You're either a sword or a shield. And when you figure out which one you are, which is really easy for some people to do, then this book has all the right kind of advice for how your brain reacts to doing the things you want it to do. You know how like you blow up at your kids after you swear that you're gonna like be chill or you're on your way to the gym and you drive to get the haagen You know, why do we sabotage ourselves? Well, maybe your brain reacts to reward or maybe your brain seeks stimulation. Let me just tell you this. You're either a shield or a sword, according to this theory. Shields are more contemplative in nature. They tend towards introversion. They seek to avoid stimulation. They're motivated by avoiding punishment. They can control their impulses. They can hold in anger. Thinking style is slow, but accurate. They have a high attention to detail. They're flexible. These are the shields. Now the swords. Swords seek out stimulation. They're motivated by reward. They find it difficult to delay gratification. They have poor impulse control. They seek out the new and novel. They take risks. They let their anger out. They don't do well with change. Do you know right away if you're a shield or a sword? Check out the book Override and maybe it will be clearer to you. Remember back when they talked about like type A and type B personalities? This goes deeper and gives us so much advice. Dr. Cowan, what did you do here? There's so much material out there about, uh, you know, changing things in your life that are hard to change that are not as effective as they could be because they're addressed as a kind of one-size-fits-all strategy. That's not the way the brain works. What we've come up with is an approach and a series of strategies that allow people to kind of personalize how their brain works and to use that to apply to those things in their lives that they want to tinker with and, and, and make better. And Dr. Kipper, what do you want to add to that? Casey, what we discovered, and we're two clinicians, a medical doctor and as a psychologist, we are also dear friends and we've worked together for many years and it was frustrating for both of us why we couldn't affect these changes. What we've learned and what we express in this book is how Mother Nature has actually divided us into two different groups. There's a group that are more outgoing, seeking stimulation, motivated to anticipate reward. This is a group that is out there exploring. And then there's another group based on these brain chemistry differences that are the opposite, motivated actually to avoid punishment, are seen as more pessimistic, are more cautious. And we've divided in the vernacular these two groups into the swords and shields, the swords being the more activating 
group and the shields being the more cautious group. And Mother Nature depends on both in order for evolution, and not just for humans, but for all animals. And because of this, we've been able to create a very fun way to look at your own personality and your own behaviors and of those around you. There's a test that you take in the beginning of the book that identifies uh, you, Casey, as either a sword or a shield. Each one of these uh, differences are based on neurotransmitters or brain chemistry, chemicals, the serotonin for the shield group and the dopamine imbalances for the sword group. And you'll see yourself in this book and you'll see everyone around you in your life in this book. Are those people that you are living with, working with, of the same brain type? Are they of the opposite brain type? And it's just a very fun way to explore how you navigate through the world. And because of these specific differences, we have created very specific change strategies, which is very different than any of the preceding self-help books. This is now based on something scientific, and it works. Uh, Dr. Cowan and I have been very lucky in that we've been able to uh, parlay this information and into our clinical practices. And because these strategies that have been individualized have shown positive changes, we decided to write this book. And I am thrilled, and I rarely use the word life-changing, but just hearing you talk about shields and swords, so many things are clicking into place for me right now. The book is called Override, Discover Your Brain type, why you do what you do, and how to do it better. So this begs the question, doctors, what kind of brains do you have? Are you a a sword and a shield? We actually are. Before we started this long process of research on this, you know, I I had never thought of that, but I'm very definitely a shield. And Dr. Kipper is very definitely a sword. And it's it's been interesting to, you know, to write about that, but, you know, in, in the midst of living it, because the differences are really apparent. Okay, so what are the differences between you? The swords, and I'm proud to be a member of that team, and we're shy in dopamine chemicals in our brain. We, we tend to be motivated uh, by reward. We're seen as more optimistic. We tend to have poor impulse control. Uh, when we're angry, you know about it. Uh, we tend to be more rigid, and we are risk takers, whereas Dr. Cowan and his uh, serotonin shield team tend to be more motivated to avoid punishment, are seen as more pessimistic. Uh, They're able to control their impulses much better. You're not really sure if they're angry. They tend to bury it. They're more flexible uh, and adaptable. Uh, They avoid stimulation and they avoid risk. So I just threw a lot at you, Mm -hmm, Casey, but mm -hmm. the reality is, let's say Dr. Cowan and I decide to go in and and actually this might be easier to use my wife as an example. (laughs) My wife, like Dr. Cowan, is a shield. I'm a sword. We go in to buy a car. We walk into the car dealership and I'm motivated to come out with a reward. I want that car. And my wife says, "Eh, you know, 
and the car is sitting there, so I want to walk out with the car. She, on the other hand, is Jill says, you know, we ought to research this. We ought to look around a little bit. It's a little too much stimulation all at once to get this car. So there are behavioral changes and expressions between these two different teams that can butt up against each other, and sometimes they are productive and sometimes they're not. But in writing the book, Dr. Cowan and I got to know each other even better and realized that there were certain behaviors that each of us brought to the table that might have been a little bit annoying, and when we understood it ultimately as to coming from our brain chemistry, it made it actually a little bit amusing and not so frustrating. I love it. Dr. Cowan, what do you want to add to that? What's really interesting about it in terms of of what I've learned in working with people by their understanding where they, you know, where their imbalanced brain chemistry is, it takes some of the sting away. You know, I was always a little embarrassed that I wasn't that guy who was out there, you know, doing and I'm more shy. So, you know, even, even this is a little anxiety provoking for me but by understanding it you know it's 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 let me kind of accept some of those things that I I felt embarrassed about kind of uh, let let go of that which has really been helpful for for me personally that's amazing well you know dr. Cowan we need both of you here because it really helps tell the story override is the book oddly when I first picked up the book I opened to page 274 which talks about weight loss and the different brain types. What can each of you say about that? We all have these resistances, uh, Casey, to uh, things that we want to change. And we're smart enough to know that we need, let's use weight, we need to lose weight. Why don't we lose weight? And why don't we make these changes? Well, it turns out that people that are shields and are serotonin imbalanced, they worry a lot. And they eat in order to soothe bad feelings. Whereas people on the dopamine side, the swords, also can have weight problems because they eat to stimulate themselves. So both groups have weight problems, but for very different reasons. So the strategies to to make that different and to, to actually change those behaviors have to be based on what your brain type is. So for shields, as an example, they're motivated to avoid punishment. So you tell someone in a weight program that's a shield, you're going to get diabetes, your heart disease is going to get worse. They respond to that. On the other hand, the the dopamine, the swords, they're, because they're motivated for reward, in order to build in change strategies for the swords, you have to build in rewards for a weight reduction program. And you have to build in diversity. So each brain type has its own issues that they respond to that are that are frankly opposite. So to develop change strategies, whether it's weight, whether it's exercise programs, even relationship building, you have to build in to the specific brain type, very specific, but frankly, opposite types of behavioral change. And Dr. Cowan, you've written a lot of books about relationships. How how does this work here in Override help relationships? 
relationships. One of the most important ways is in understanding who you're attracted to. There are three chapters on relationship. One is is on attraction, one is on marriage, and one is on parenting. In terms of relationship, it, it's really helpful if you understand if this person that you're you're with has like kind of brain chemistry imbalances or oppositional ones. The dynamics play out in very different ways. Emotions are contagious. And if you have two people, two shields together, they will tend to amplify that are not necessarily constructive and that are byproducts of their brain chemistry as opposed to byproducts of reality. We explore these things in those chapters using a lot of case studies. We talk about real people struggling you know, with real relationship issues, but applying this uh, brain chemical angle to it allows them to be seen in, in a very different way that can be enormously helpful. If David and his wife are buying a car, he can be annoyed by the fact that uh, she doesn't want to walk out of the dealership with some bright, shiny object, or he can kind of understand you know, her more cautious nature and work with it. So it takes a lot of the sting out of conflicts that people have. Oh, yes. Swords and shields. That's what we're talking in the book Override. So much to look into here. The book is called Override, Doctors Cowan and Kipper. Are you a sword or are you a shield? I think I act like a sword in public, but I'm a shield at heart. That's what I think. But I'm loving this book and I have three copies. So if you'd like a copy, I'll send one to you. If you're one of the first to email from the website, caseysplace.com, K-A-C-E-Y-S-P-L-A-C-E.com. Okay, no matter what kind of brain you have, everybody loves a good story. And Kate Winkler Dawson knows how to tell one. Host to three true crime podcasts, her new book is called All That Is Wicked, a gilded age story of murder and the race to decode the criminal mind. And it took place right here in New York. What's it all about, Kate? Well, the book is about a um, genius in 19th century upstate New York. So this is the Ithaca area, Dryden, uh, where Cornell University is in Ithaca. And this is a man who was a, a genius in academics and linguistics, and he spoke more than 12 languages. Absolutely brilliant, but he also killed four members of his family and went on to create a, a, a criminal ring to commit crimes to support his academic pursuits. So it's about the criminal mind, delving into the criminal mind and the history and the evolution of what we've learned and how we've learned about people who commit crimes. This is just amazing. And this was a real person, right? Edward Roloff? Yes, Ruloff. Yes, Ruloff. he was Edward a real person. Yep. Tell me about your research. Well, I was at Cornell, which is if I were to ever have a crush on a university, Cornell would be my number one crush. It is an incredible university and a wonderful archive to work with. Um, he Ruloff had uh, spent quite a lot of time, a decade, in prison at Auburn, and he wrote a lot of letters to his attorney, so I was able to access those letters to really get to know him and his different legal arguments. He was a, a brilliant legal expert also, and represented himself in several cases. 
I also spoke with his family. They still live on the same farm, the farm he lived on in 1843, and uh, they're in Dryden. And so I was able to get on the farm and see the same well that he looked down and the same trees and um, the creek in the back. And so it was it was pretty amazing. So I had a, a lot of access to some really great resources. Amazing. 1843, Dryden, and there you were, like following in his footsteps. Did you get the creeps from time to time? You know, <laughs> it takes a lot to creep me out, but it was it was a really interesting experience because um, the farm is beautiful and the house is been basically unchanged and so it it is really important to feel like you can be there and describe to readers sort of visceral visceral response which is the the feeling that this is someone who walked on this ground and you know looked at the heard the birds and and saw the trees and as a nonfiction author you really need to feel like you're there and so it was really an interesting experience to then be able to go home and create that world for the reader. And it's just so necessary to be there. So um, there is something a little spooky about wintertime in upstate New York, beautiful and also spooky. And it felt very isolating to me and a little desolate in that particular area. But it was also just such a wonderful experience. And how did his family, his descendants, feel about you writing the book? You know, I think they liked it. This is a set of descendants who knew the story very well, and it was not discussed in their family. So one of the women who was involved with the story, um, she remembers, she's probably about in her 90s at this point, and she remembers her grandparents saying, we're not discussing this story, and she and her cousins would go up into the attic and read some of the papers that they found. So, you know, I work a lot with other families in different crime stories for my podcast and for other books, and oftentimes they know a lot about the stories, but sometimes these are stories that have been lost in history because family members don't want to talk about it. It's shameful to them. So uh, it was really interesting talking to the Scots. They saw a lot of characteristics in them that they felt like were dis- that were that were also shown in the 1800s by their family that pursued this man for 30 years for killing four people, and so I think that the perseverance and the dedication to family these are all things that they were happy to talk about because. They, they felt like that now. That's how they feel about their current family. All That is Wicked, a Gilded Age story of murder and the race to decode the criminal mind. Kate Winkler Dawson, tell us about your podcast. Well, I have three. <laughs> They're all on the Exactly Right Network. One is called Tenfold More Wicked, and it's a documentary-style uh, podcast where we take one crime and spend six episodes on it, and it's out of history, and I always talk to the family members and uh, the second one is called Wicked Words, and Wicked Words is me interviewing journalists about their best true crime stories. And then the one that just launched a few weeks ago is with forensic investigator Paul Holes, and that's called Buried Bones. And I present a case to him that is always surprising with lots of twists and turns, and he tells me how as a forensic investigator he would have done things differently now. These kinds of podcasts, this historical forensic uh, storytelling, it's having a really long moment, don't you think? 
I do. And, you know, what's so interesting is people are saying there's this resurgence of interest in true crime and forensics, absolutely. But in true crime, there's this huge surge. And there ha- there's no huge surge. We as a society have been fascinated since the beginning of true crime. There, the public executions, including Edward Ruloff's public executions, were so crowded. People would bring women and children in picnic baskets there. There has always been a desire for true crime, but now you have all of these different medias, and particularly podcasting and television, that now are available, and they're just leveraging it. Right. So the the fascination has always been there, but now there's so many different modes to learn about it. It's just everywhere. I really love history. I don't talk about contemporary true crime. I stay away from families that have been directly affected by crime. I am a lot more comfortable talking to families that know about the crimes and it has affected their family, but it's not their mother or their sister or their grandmother. So I like bringing history alive and and telling these stories that have been lost. Did you happen to see on Netflix Only Murders in the Building? I haven't seen it yet. Okay, everybody's talking to me about it. I know we're in the middle of second season, and I'm a huge Steve Martin fan, but I haven't seen it yet. Everybody's talking about it, so now you're about the ninth person. I should probably go see it on my break, right? Oh, only because there's one character, Tina Fey's character. Uh, yeah. She's you, <laughs> basically. She's you. I, I have heard that, and what an, what an honor. <laughs> she's you. I mean, there. I think you're a smarter... A more experienced version of her but you know i think you're gonna i think you'll at least feel you know the television is winking at you well i'm gonna watch it and then report back to you okay and i'll tell you what i think but i know it's it's supposed to be wonderful i need to know where is your hometown austin texas and i teach at the university of texas ah very good and i hate to ask this question but i must what are you working on next Well, the podcasts are keeping me pretty busy, but I have just started on my fourth book, which is about a true crime writer from 175 years ago who wrote the first true crime book about a terrible case that happened in New England, and she and I reinvestigate it together. I use her sources, and I have new sources. So it, it's a little bit like my my podcast with Paul Holes come to life, mm-hmm. <laughs> where I could talk to for, for forensic knot experts about you know different ways to create knots, and so we we she and I work together to try to figure out this case. So it's it's great. It's a reckoning for true crime for sure. Do your fans reach out to you? They do a lot over social media. So you know I'm I am all over social media and. It's great to hear from fans, and I get a lot of suggestions for uh, my podcast for Tenfold More Wicked. Families who contact me and say, boy, you really should investigate what happened in my family, and I love that. It's great. It makes my life a lot easier, frankly. (laughs) So send her your ideas. Kate Winkler Dawson, All That Is Wicked is the book. No, she's not related to Henry Winkler, of course, I asked, but she is a big fan. All That Is Wicked, A Gilded Age Story of Murder and the Race to Decode the Criminal Mind. I wonder if that criminal mind was a sword or a shield. Hi, it's Casey. Thanks so much for tuning in to Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. You know, we've been doing this since 2009. But we're new every Sunday, and you can join us every day on the Circle of Women page on Facebook. Got retreats coming up for New Year's weekend and another retreat in February. Check that out at caseysplace.com.
And if you're in the Hudson Valley, check out the Let It Shine Again Boutique and the Let It Shine Market on the River through October. Both benefit the pantry. The Let It Shine Foundation grew out of this program and our Circle of Women page. Look at all the good you've done. Our thought for the day comes from everyone's favorite astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who turned 64 this week. He said the problem, often not discovered until late in life, is that when you look for things in your life like love, meaning, motivation, it implies they're sitting behind a tree or under a rock. The most successful people in life recognize that in life they create their own love, they manufacture their own meaning, they generate their own motivation. me, I am driven by two main philosophies. No more today about the world than I knew yesterday and lessen the suffering of others. You'd be surprised how far that gets you. Shine On. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on. Shine On.